I said at the beginning uh, a few minutes ago that this was a lesson that I was looking forward to teaching and one that I wasn't certain that you would uh, fall in love with. It has to do with time. At the start of every new year, we're not quite ready to start our new season, uh, which is next week in the book of Ephesians. And at the beginning of every year, lots and lots of folks like to talk about resolutions and and making plans and changes for their lives. And as I was thinking and praying about it, for, for our discussion's sake, I kept coming back to this concept of teaching us to number our days. So open your Bible and look at Psalm chapter 90, and let's talk about time. How do we use our time? How much time do we have to use? And what should we be focused on with that time? In Psalm chapter 90, and we're going to pick the chapter a little bit apart, but I want you to just draw your eyes down to verse number 12. The NIV says, teach us to number our days aright, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days aright, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Um, The New Living Translation says, teach us to realize the brevity of life, so that we may grow in wisdom. So there's a little clock there on your notes. You see the little clock? So the first thing we're going to do, which I know you're not going to enjoy, but we're going to do it, comes from an English theologian named uh, Leslie uh, Weatherhead. And he calculated the average length of of a person's life using a, a clock, using 12 hours of a day. And so he said, if you were um, 15 years of age, between the time that you are now and the time that you're going to go to meet with the Lord, the time for you is 10.25 a.m. You getting it? And if your age was 20, the time is 11.34. All right? 25, it's 12.42. All right, so you can see the rest of the numbers. I want you to draw your own clock. Put Put the hands of the clock... Close to your age. I knew you weren't going to like it. So if you're 70, which I am, the time is 11 p.m. Come on, Nicole. Oh, you don't have a pen. All right. So where's your clock? If you're 35, your clock is at 3 o'clock. 45, you're going to be 515. 44, make it 510. Do an estimate here. Come on. Work with me. Everybody got your clock? Lindy, do you need your clock? You got a clock? <laughs> now, now, what happens when we do something like that? You have to admit that it immediately gives you perspective, does it not? Immediately gives you perspective. Yeah, a few ouches are going on around the room. So what time is it for you? You know, in my case, it's 11 p.m. Ah! That's, that's, that's uh, thought-provoking. That's perspective-giving. You know, when you were 15, 18 years old, you thought you were going to live forever. It's why nobody starts saving. It's why, why nobody has any life insurance in the early days when it would cost pennies. You know, we, we, we're going to live forever. What do you mean? 
nobody dies at 18 or 20 or 25 or 30 even or 35. You know, you start to have children, you look in the eyes of your kids and you realize how quickly those years are running by. At Christmas time, I'm betting every single one of you mamas looked at your children and said, oh my goodness, where, where, yesterday I brought them home from the hospital. And now they're bringing their own children home from the hospital. I mean, it just flies by. You know, yesterday they were, they were learning to walk and you were thrilled. And today, you know, they're running out of the house mad. Time flies by. And what, what ought to happen for the believer is that every now and then we pause long enough to say, what am I doing with that time? Where is my focus What's being accomplished with the life that God indeed gave me? So Psalm 90, I hope you have your Bible open. It starts with the phrase that says, a prayer of Moses. So as you know, the book of Psalms is a book of songs. It was worship music. And uh, various authors wrote it, mostly David. A guy by the name of Asaph was also an able contributor and, and a bunch of other people. Moses only wrote one, or at least we only have one in our collection. And this is it. You say, Moses, the same guy that was up on the mountain with God? Yeah, in fact, Moses is the only one that the Lord has ever spoken to face to face. Numbers chapter 12 says that he he spoke to him face to face as a man speaks with his friend. As a man speaks with a friend. You know, um, uh, when we have people of of, of uh, position and authority and power and they speak to us, we sp- speak slightly different than we do when we're speaking with a, with a friend or a dear friend. And what God's trying to tell us here is that he had a, a unique relationship with Moses and out of that relationship comes this psalm. He says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Now, the thing is, is that this whole psalm, this whole bit of worship, is, is asking us to consider in the context of God's righteous wrath, which he gets to in verses 7 through 11, that, that God has a claim on our lives, but he, he, while knowing full well that we deserve the, the full judgment on our sin, and that judgment would be eternal separation from God. But by his mercy and by his grace, he's made a way of escape for us. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, For by grace are we saved through faith, and that not of ourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. What we deserve is punishment. What we get is God's mercy and grace. What we deserve is to be eternally separated from God. That, that's the, the definition of hell. It's, it's, not, it's not Dante's Inferno that you, you should have in mind. What you have in mind is that for all eternity, by choice, people choose to not be with God, to be separated, to be fully uh, apart from him. And, 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 and Moses is saying, hey, in verse 7, we're brought to an end by your anger, your wrath were dismayed, you set our iniquities before you, our secret sins are in the light of your presence, for all of our days pass under your wrath, we, we bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or by reason of strength, maybe 80, but their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. That's how most of us think about uh, life. Is that, you know, It's just a, a series of years, and it has its difficulties. It has its joys, of course, but at some point it stops. 
And what Moses is saying, wait a minute, wait a minute. Yes, that is true. It does fly by. Yes, God is in a position he could require of us the, the, the response, the, the, the penalty for our sin. But, but in light of all of that, wait a minute, let me give you a perspective on time. And in verse number two, that phrase starts the, the perspective. He says, God exists from everlasting to everlasting. There is a span to time, and it's not my life. I like to think that. It all started in 1949. No. You know, or pick the day you were born, it all started then. No. Our perspective started then, our focus started then. But the span of actual time was from everlasting to everlasting. The backdrop for time is not my life, my accomplishments, my family, my things. The backdrop for time is God. <clears throat> now, if, if we think about that a little bit, it moves us from the pettiness of all that stuff you've been fussing about for the last two weeks. This kid, that kid, this health issue, that issue, this financial concern, that financial concern, this relational issue, that relational issue. When we look at time with God being the backdrop from everlasting to everlasting, it is a perspective giver. It isn't, the, the focus isn't on the minutia uh, that, that we keep creating. I put in your notes that in Psalm 145, he says, thy kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and thy dominion endures through all generations. I like to think it started and stopped with me. The epitome of all mankind, right here. And the life and details and ministry of Sherry World. It's not true. And, and when I wrestle with things, which I, like all of you, do, what's this, what's that, how's that going to work? I'm right in the middle of, of redoing, I'm, I'm trying to decide what I want to be when I grow up. And um, you say, it's late, Jerry. Yeah, I know. It's, it's 11 o'clock, but it's better late than never. You ought to decide what you want to be when you grow up. I, I have an opportunity to redo my website and really focus on what I want to spend the next however many years of my life doing. And, I'm, I'm, you know, they're asking me all these questions about what do you want this and what do you want that and what do you want to emphasize and you want to write, you want to speak, you want to this. I don't know, I don't know. And it's, and it's caused a real focus on me and mine and what I'm going to do. And it was very healthy for me to stop and, and look at a different backdrop. The backdrop is not my stuff. The backdrop is everlasting God from to no beginning, no end. In Revelation 1, verse number 8, he, in reference to himself, says, I am the Alpha and the Omega the first and the last letters of the Hebrew alphabet. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord, who is, who was, and who is to come. Nothing else falls into that category. Nothing in our lives, nothing about our lives. Pick any person in history, and it isn't true about them. Anyone you might admire, anyone that you might aspire to be like, or you want your kids to turn out like, or, or this person in ministry, or that person in ministry, it doesn't matter. None of us have that kind of description who is, who was, and who will be forever. Moses was making certain that we had a, a sense in Psalm 90 of the span of time, 
of the awareness that God is from everlasting to everlasting. So when we look at that clock and we get all heebie-jeebie about, well, it's 11 o'clock in my case, or yours is whatever it is, wait a minute, the, the span of time is not the details associated with our lives. The span of time is the details associated with God's purpose and plan. The second thing is, out of this thing, this same uh, psalm, look, look at verse number four. He gives us a sense of time. We've got a, a sense of the span of time. But look at verse four. He says, um, For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. What he's doing is saying, God does not mark time like we mark time. We mark time by aches and pains. Yeah, I didn't always hurt, but I do now. <laughs> Right? Or or our kids. They used to be cute. They're not so cute anymore. They used to obey. Really, they did. You know? Or or whatever. They used to care what I think. They don't care anymore. My husband used to love me, but I don't know. I mean, he used to pay attention. I don't know. But the sense of time from a godly perspective, God's, God's sense is a thousand days are like a day. I mean, a thousand years are like a day. Now, that concept is re- repeated for us in Second Peter. He doesn't mark time like you and I do. He has a purpose and a plan, and it's grand, and it unfolds. And sometimes it includes us when we will allow it to be true. And if not, then we spend our whole lives just running around doing ant stuff. The sense of time. See, Moses was urging us to consider our own mortality. He asks us in verse number 12 to number our days, which is another way of noticing the brevity of life. In fact, that's the whole idea, is that you should be thinking about how short your life really is. You say, see, I knew you weren't going to like this lesson. But at the beginning of a new year, you're looking for perspective. You're looking for, for goals. You're looking for resolutions. Uh, uh, B-H-A-G bags, big, hairy, audacious goals. You know, the, the, the start of the year is the time when everybody dreams all the, I'm going to look like this, I'm gonna, my children are going to be this, our financial situation is going to be this, our health is going to be improving. I hit the doctors yesterday for my annual physical. It was not pretty. Just want to tell you, it wasn't pretty. We all, we all do this, though. The truth of the matter is, though, that there is a brevity associated with our lives. And when we ignore that, when all we think about is very short-sighted goals, short-sighted activities, short-sighted perspectives, we miss out on a lot. The brevity of life ought to give us perspective. James, when he writes in his book, James is the half-brother of Jesus, he talks about our lives and he, he refers to it as a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. A vapor. Doesn't that just encourage you? I mean, don't you feel <laughs> empowered? <laughs> Psalm 144, it takes that same concept and he says, our days are like a passing shadow. Look, look, the, the, the perspective that we ought to get when we look at our clock is to say, oh, okay, X, X percent of life is done. What am I going to use the rest of the, the life for? Um, life expectancy in the United States is declining. Did you know that? The last three years, it's declined. It was on a, a climb, 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 climb until last uh, last three years. 
they're attributing it to a lot of things. Uh, some suicide numbers are up, uh, drug and alcohol uh, abuse deaths are up, uh, all kinds of things. But it's declining. Right now, though, a woman can expect to live 81 years and a gentleman six, or 76. Now, it's time to do a little math. You ready for a little math? So I did mine as an example for you. So at, at, uh, at uh, 81, that's my life expectancy, statistically. Uh, I'm 70, so that gives me 11 years left. You got it? Well, the, the psalmist told us, or excuse me, Moses told us to number our days. He did not say to number our years. And I'm going to talk about that in just a second. So I took 365 days times 11 years, and I got 4,115 days left. Now tomorrow, I'm going to take that one off. And I'm going to have 4,015 left. And on Thursday, <laughs> some of the wiser in here are nodding their heads. You're getting my point. Do your own math. I'm going to talk to you in a second. Do your math. If you have 81 years, how many years till you turn 81? Times 365. chart here, but sure is an effective tool, isn't it? Put one of those up in your kitchen. You do your math? How many years times 365? How many days you got left? How many you got, one? 5,840. 5,840. Okay. Suze, how many you got? 11,000. Love it, Let's get a youngie. Renee, did you do the math? I did. What do you got? 14,965. Anybody got more than 14? How many you got? 16,000. 16,000? 16, 16, Nicole, how many you got? 15,600. All right, 16,000 looks to be our top number. Anybody beat 16,000? No? Okay, so mine's 4,000. Anybody beat mine on the other end of the scale? Yeah? What do you got? <laughs> no, you don't got zero. Come on. <laughs> oh, I got it. Now you're done. <laughs> so you're on borrowed time. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Now, guys, I, I, I did this for a purpose. Oh, you don't worry. Because <laughs> Look, when we get up every morning, when we get up every morning, and God has asked us to number our days, not our years. We're supposed to be living in one-day compartments. In, in Matthew chapter 6, it says, Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself each day as in a trouble of its own. One-day compartments. We're supposed to live in this one. We get up this morning, and it's day 4,015. And I'm supposed to live in 4,015 in a, a contained uh, you know, kind of environment. It's the day, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Your kids say that every morning. 
if we lived that way, how would today be? I wouldn't be worried about my calendar. Because the only day on my calendar is today. I wouldn't be worried about tomorrow or next week or next month. I wouldn't be worried about what's going to happen with that kid or that finances or that plan or that ministry. I would be living this one because this one's precious. I only got 4014 after this one. There's a limited amount. We don't live that way. We live like we can just throw a credit card down and get as many days and experiences and opportunities that we want. And we cannot. We don't control time. Moses said, teach us to number our days so we can get wisdom. So we can learn how to live in those one-day compartments. If the Lord met you in your car when you drive out of the parking lot today and leaned over and said, so... You got 4,014, 16,000 left. What are you doing with it today? What's today look like? What was your attitude when you rolled out of bed this morning? How did you greet those that you love? Did you meet with me first or did you go to social media? Did you plan your day around making money? Did you plan your day around, you know, friends or activities or yet another trip to the gym? Or did you plan your day around me? See, this gives perspective. Teach us to number our days. That doesn't mean we shouldn't have plans or thoughts. That doesn't mean we shouldn't look into the face of our young children and hope for the best for them. That doesn't mean we shouldn't have jobs or be concerned about uh, gainfully employed. doesn't mean we shouldn't have businesses or ministries. It just means we should live in one-day compartments. This day, I choose to serve you. This day, I choose to make you first. This day, I rolled out of bed and grabbed my Bible first before I checked social media or my calendar, or my appointments, or listen to somebody scream from down the hall. This day was important. When I get to the next one, two days ahead, sorry, I caught you. That one's going to be important too. See, this makes me think about it as a limited commodity. If you only have one something left in the refrigerator... And it's your special. Oh, don't mess with that. <laughs> right? Who ate the last? Whatever. Well, well, let's think about time that way. It's a limited commodity. And when we number our days, not our years, our days, when we number our days, it gives us a, 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 a better perspective. Let me give you a couple of so what's to this. If we number our days, we learn to ignore the world's perspective. Look, the world is screaming at you about how you should spend your time. You remember the the uh, the movie with uh, what's his face, the punchline of which he was a teacher in a, a boys' uh, school, and the punchline of the of the movie was carpe diem. Do you remember the phrase carpe diem? Anybody remember? What was it? Deadwood side. Thank you. I really liked the movie. Didn't like the punchline of the movie, but I really liked the movie. But the but the line carpe diem. The word carpe diem is is uh, is a, a Latin phrase, and it literally means pluck the day, seize the day. Now, in his case, when he got up on the 
on the on the desk and started screaming and hollering. He was trying to in, incite them to have you know big hairy audacious goals. That was his point. But but it re, it came from a Roman poet around uh, a couple hundred years before Christ, and and or maybe not quite that far back, but around the time of Christ. Anyway, he coined the phrase, and the idea was to live lavishly because you don't know what's coming up next. And so it became a kind of a eat, drink, and be merry for you don't know if you're going to die. Well, that's really not the heart of that. The, the, uh, the idea here that we're trying to, to move away from is exactly that, this idea that I need to live lavishly because, you know, boy, I'm, we're going to die someday. In fact, I want you to look at the rich man in Luke 2. In Luke chapter 2, he takes this idea on. If we learn to number our days, we're not going to think like this guy. Luke chapter uh, 12. I said 2, I'm sorry. Luke chapter 12. He tells a parable. Jesus tells a parable of, a, of what my Bible entitles a rich fool. So somebody in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell, me, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, you made me a judge or an arbitrator over you. And he said to him, Well, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Stop right there. How many people in Southern County believe in that? If I went and interviewed your children, I guarantee you, 70 plus percent of those kids believe in fact that, that the, the, uh, the abundance of life is found in the abundance of possessions. And why do they think that? Because they see us model it. We don't talk about driving a car until it dies. We talk about, whoa, we can get a new one. We don't talk about a house that's more than wonderful and we've pretty much got it paid off. We talk about, oh, interest rates are down. We can get more of a house. We don't talk about, you know, five or six or ten outfits or plenty and you can actually find them and keep up on your laundry. We want more. And we can't find anything and we yearn for the simple life. <laughs> Why is our life not simple? Because it takes us an hour and a half to decide what to wear. So why do our kids think that way? This guy, he, he gets this parable. He says, the land of a rich man uh, produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, well, whatever will I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. My closet is stuffed. And he said, well, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build, build larger barns. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. Our house is too small. Why? There's not enough closet space. Why? And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? Who gets all that stuff in your closet? Your kids don't want it. <laughs> said to Brianna when she was home this last, two weeks ago, I said, sweetie, those five bins that we have out there in the garage that are full of your, your school stuff, I know you're not going to want all five of them. I, you, your, your trip is too short now, but next time you're in Southern California, we're going through all that junk and throwing it away. She doesn't want the little figurines that, that someone might have been collected. You really think she wants my library? No. She does not. 
a few books of it, yes, or this or that or whatever, but she doesn't want all that stuff that, that matters. So when you do croak at that appropriate time, who's going to come in your house and go, oh, I want this? Are you kidding? In my, where I live, they have estate sales. You know what that means? An old person just died and their kids don't want their junk. What? Yeah? So as we number our days, we learn to ignore that world's perspective of eat, drink, and be merry, carpe diem, bring it on, pluck the day, seize it. No, we're we're gonna we're we're gonna avoid what this rich man, you know, uh, didn't learn to be driven for more of everything. No. When your when your kid's tired of a toy and starts craving another toy, I understand maybe they outgrew it, maybe the interest level. So fine, here's what you say to them. Great, we have an exchange policy in our house. One for one. So we'll pack that up and take it down to some appropriate place where it could be useful, and then you can save your money and, and get a replacement for it. We don't just we don't just build bigger barns. You don't go in your room and say to the kid, oh, your box of toys is overflowing. Let's get a bigger box. (laughs) One for one. This book is no longer interesting to me. I get it. Let's find a place where they can use that book. We're focused, we should be focused rather, not on the temporal pleasures of today. The stuff that, that is only concerning us. Our, our little, but uh, our vacation, our this, our that. Nothing wrong with the vacation, nothing wrong with the trip. Yes, love trips. Would rather spend money on trip than anything else in the world. But the perspective that that's all there is, is the problem. If I've only got 4,013 left, what do I want to spend them on? God calls that guy a fool. So when we number our days and we get wisdom, we reject this carpe diem idea. Eat, drink, and be married? No. So let me give you another one. If we learn to number our days, we learn to make the most of every opportunity. I want you to look at Ephesians 5. This is a fabulous verse. You're going to love the study in Ephesians, by the way. Don't miss a single one, in my humble opinion. This is an amazing book we're about to jump into. But Ephesians 5... Verse 15. He says, Look carefully then on how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. See, that's a perspective giver. Make the best use of your time. When you get up in the morning, or maybe before you go to sleep at night, tomorrow these are my plans. Is that the best use of my time? Is that the best way to glorify God? Is that the best way to use my gifts? All this discussion about what I want to be when I grow up is making me ask that question. What do I want to invest time in? And, 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 and that ought to be a thought that goes through every single person's mind in relationship to the way you parent. How many days left do you have to parent? Now that's a fun one. <laughs> Figure your kid's going to leave at about 18. Take however old they are now you got X number of years times 365 days. Make yourself one of those little things for kids. Now your interaction with your children will change. Because it's not unlimited. And if they're 15 or 16, 
you only got a short period of time to keep imprinting them. You know, clean the house, sit down and have that serious conversation. To heck with the house! We only got X number of days left. And she's actually asking a question and I need to answer it. We, we need to make the most of every opportunity to do good and to please the Lord. A friend calls and just could use some time. Yeah, but... Might be a good investment of time. Third one. As we number our days, we'll learn to cherish today and not boast about tomorrow. Look at James. We're in Ephesians. Turn to James chapter 4. James chapter 4 and verse number 13. Towards the end of our Bible here. I'm using a new Bible today and it's bugging me. James chapter 4, right after Hebrews. Chapter 4, verse 13. He says, come on now, you who say, today or tomorrow we'll go into such and such a town and we'll spend a year there and we'll trade and we'll make a profit. Yet you don't know what tomorrow will bring. For what is your life? For you are a mist or a vapor that appears for a little time and vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, well, if the Lord wills, then we'll live and we'll do this and do that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. We don't know what brings tomorrow, what tomorrow is going to bring. When we number our days, we learn to cherish today. Well, I'm worried about what it's going to be like when this physical condition gets worse. Okay, I get that. But today, I can this and that and those. So get up and go do this and that and those. Well, I don't know what it's going to be like when my husband transitions to da-da-da-da. Okay, but he's not there today. I don't know what's going to happen when an income is reduced. Okay, I understand that. Making some thoughtful plans is a good thing. But when, we, when we're so focused on tomorrow, we lose out on cherishing today. Now, those minutes. When Brianna comes to town, she has to satisfy her mom, and in this case, her boyfriend's family. So she had three, three entities she's trying to bounce between. And she only had four days. And so she's bound to, uh, uh, could, could you meet for, for breakfast? Or how, we could, maybe, could we spin it? And our reaction to her, every time she'd come up with one of those, fine, you got it, we'll be there. Well, I know that that means, you, no, I don't care, that's great, we'll be there. Because I didn't want to put that kid in that, in that horrible position of trying to, well, you know, I want my, I want my time, I want my time. I want her to actually want to be with me. So if she says, well, I got a two-hour span here, great, I'll be there. Where? Where are you going to meet us? Well, you know, we'd have to be... That's fine. It'll be perfect. If you want to just sit in a car for an hour, I'll take that. See, the truth of the matter is when we cherish today, we live in that one-day compartment, trivial stuff starts to fade into the background. At one moment, she was a little snippy. Her and her grandmother... A little snip. And... <laughs> If Barb came in the room, she said, I said, I know, but you're only going to get another day and a half with her. Totally changed her perspective. You're right. You're right. I'm not going to let that change, mess something up. She sucked it up, went flying back out there. They were perfectly fine 10 minutes later. Why not? Why not? With there's only this much time. Well, there's only this much time to our lives. So that, 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 that fussing we've got with a relative or that fussing we've got with a, with a neighbor or that fussing about something at church or... Why? 
What a waste of time. Let's cherish the time we have as we number our days. And the bottom line is Moses made it very clear. When we number our days, we get a heart of wisdom. Wisdom. If you ever ask me what I want for my birthday, I'm going to tell you wisdom. What I want for Christmas, I want wisdom. You need wisdom to raise your children. You need wisdom to be a spouse. You need wisdom to be a good employee or employer. You need wisdom to know how to do with, deal with your finances. You need wisdom to be a good steward of your body. You need wisdom. And, and one of the ways we get it, specifically told to us by Moses in, in Psalm 90, is learn to number your days. Realize you have a short amount of time. Look at the brevity of the situation, and it will give you perspective. When, when, we, when we have wisdom, we are rooted in the fear of God. And that wisdom allows us to apply the truths of God's word into all the circumstances and relationships of our lives. That's why this book should be numero uno in your life. Don't just pick it up when you go to church on Sunday morning or come to Bible study on Tuesdays. This, this book should be a natural part of your everyday life. Get it so you can hear it in the car. Get it so you can hear it when you run. Get it so you can hear it when you're exercising. Get it so you can hear it of other times. We have all these tools at our disposal now. Read it. Study it. Underline it. Highlight it. Xerox off pages and study, study, study that particular passage. However it works for you. Because this book will change the way we spend our lives. So if God showed up at your house when you get home today and says, okay, you've spent this much of your life, that was the first clock, whatever, whatever time you're on. I'm at 11. I don't know where you are. but So you spent you know, 11 hours doing what? And you got one hour left or 4,015 days. What are you going to spend them on? My answer is in pursuit of wisdom. Help me, Lord. What do I do with those days? Where do I invest them? Yes, primary responsibilities, family, got it. That's not everything. Primary responsibilities about ministries at church or other kinds of ministries, great. Keep going. 24 hours in every day. Well, I want this. Okay, not a problem with that. Is it bathed in, in prayer? Is that really the highest good of your life at this point? Yes, no, might be required. We all have to work. We all want to eat. The Bible is very clear. You don't work, you don't eat. But the mouth of the, of the righteous utter wisdom. They don't utter junk. You ever stood around in a group of women when they're all talking, like before service at church or, or an activity, a, a luncheon or something? Listen to the quality of the conversations. <laughs> You're nodding your head, Celine. I mean, a little shallow, perhaps? A little shallow, perhaps? Not always. I don't have time for that. I only got 4,015 days left. I want a good laugh. I'm into that. I'm into some joy, beyond Okay, I'm into that. 
But let's also talk about something of some substance. You encourage me. I need it. Let me encourage you. You need it. Hit me with a baseball bat. I need that. I'll hit you. <laughs> you tell me I'm wasting time here. I'll, I'll take that. I'll tell you you're wasting time there. Let's rub up against each other. Let's use that wisdom. Because the Bible says wisdom protects us. And lastly, in James chapter 1, in verse number 5, he says, If you lack wisdom, ask of God, and he, ask of God, and he wants to give it to you. So guys, I started with the, the verse in Psalm. The verse about number our days. Teach us to number our days. Teach us to, to have a perspective on the brevity of life because that's where we get wisdom. As you start another new calendar year, however many days are left in your life, may they be spent in pursuit of things that matter for eternity. Don't pray that your kid gets in Stanford. Pray that your kid gets into the kingdom. Pray for their salvation. Don't pray for their their physicalness that they get on XYZ hockey. Oh, hockey. Sorry, Heather. Sorry. Wasn't going after you, babe. I'm going to choose something else. Uh, uh, lacrosse. Anybody got kids in lacrosse? That, that's fine. Nothing in the world wrong with that. I enjoyed the football games this weekend like everybody else. But at the end of the day, your kid gets on the, the lacrosse team at Stanford and loses his own soul? No. No. Please, God, no. We get to go on the most magnificent trip of our lives. Great. I'm all for that. But not at the cost of not being where I'm supposed to be doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Teach us to number our days. Let's pray. Lord, uh, I knew that this would be a fun lesson for me to teach, not a fun lesson to listen to. But it's been filtered already through my life, and I thank you for the thoughts and ideas and changes and perspective givers that have come from it. I pray for the same for my friends. Lord, help us literally to think about the brevity of life so that we might invest it in things that matter to you. Yes, our families, yes, our relationships, yes, our work, but all within the context of what brings you glory. May we worry more about our, our husband's life in you, our children's potential to, to be saved and to walk with you, our, our legacy. legacy. What, what are our grandkids going to say about our spiritual walk? Father, give those things priority in our minds. Use us, the gifts and abilities you've given us for ministry's sake, to impact other people's lives so that at the end of our life somebody might say, you know what, I'm going to heaven because of her. I was influenced to be a better mom because of her. Make our lives count as we, as we learn to number them, Lord. In Jesus' name.